0: I'm your palsy, Becca Anderson. Hello, Becca. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Well, we, we had a long drive yesterday, but I, we are here. We are upright. We're reasonably caffeinated and <laughs> hydrated, so we're ready to go.
1: We, we sure are trying. I did not have a very long drive yesterday, but I am also finding uh, caffeinated and hydrated to be necessary. <laughs> It, it's actually Tuesday morning podcast listeners, but I would like to dub this Monday two point. Um, I'm pretty sure that's that's what's happening this week.
0: indeed. And uh, nothing sets off the rarest of rare Tuesday morning podcast recording days like a special guest. Yeah, yay.
1: We we have a super special guest this morning, uh, who is uh, is very well known to you, Justin, and and known to the podcast. Would you
0: like to introduce her? Yes, we we have a special guest, my lovely wife, Doctor Lisa Hancock. <laughs> Yay! Hi, Lisa.
1: Hi, it's good to be here. Good to have you with us. How are you doing this morning?
2: Also caffeinated excellent (laughs) or trying to be and monday 2.0 definitely the way it's feeling so anyone out there experiencing their second monday of
1: the week we're with you yep yep. We, we feel your pain we we send you uh virtual caffeine
0: that's right and you can tell in this room we are all three millennials because we have Two separate podcasts represented in this room, and we are in two houses but recording in three rooms. That's so right. Can, <laughs> this is probably the most millennial thing that we could or set up we could find. But
1: there's there's nothing like having a, a conversation <laughs> with someone who is in the same house as you from different rooms. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but sometimes it's necessary. <laughs> It is no. I mean, we're getting we're gonna get better audio quality this way. So. That's right.
0: <laughs> oh, well, Lisa, we are so absolutely thrilled that you could join us on the pod this week to talk, a little, as usual, with PwC a little bit of disability, but I think a little bit more about the work you do and the US. Uh, uh for the umc and the crafting of uh worship with perhaps a disability lens as well
1: mm-hmm. yeah we uh we kind of started uh thinking about this this podcast uh because um uh going over to to united church of christ world for mm-hmm. for a second um uh, a little less than a week ago from the time we're recording this um or a little more than a week ago from the time we're recording this rather on October 8th, uh, the UCC celebrated access Sunday, which Mm. is UCC's annual, uh, disability, uh, centering worship service. And, uh, I on the, on the UCC disabilities ministries board, uh, have for the past few years taken the lead on on creating resources on that and so we were thinking you know that that seems like a cool thing to talk about and then we we're like hey you know who's like an expert on <laughs> worship and and disability things who we should probably yeah. talk to about this it's lisa um so lisa i uh, i would i would just love uh for you to tell us a bit about uh mm. the work that you do for the umc and and uh, uh some of the work that you do in your scholarship and maybe those are are two separate questions maybe they one question i don't know answer as uh, as you feel <laughs>
2: no i love it so i am uh the director of worship arts for discipleship ministries which is an agency of the united methodist church so in the umc system um we have agencies that provide resources with various foci um across the denomination so i work for the united methodist church but i don't work for a specific united methodist church in some ways i work for all the united methodist churches um because our uh budget is in part provided by uh through apportionments uh from local united methodist churches across the connection um it's giving that they give to support kind of not just uh, denomination wide, but also just global efforts. So uh, one of the agencies or programs that's under an agency that a lot of people have heard of is core, which is one of our uh, uh, it's our our primary arm that does um, relief uh, disaster relief work. That's the word I tell you, I still haven't had enough coffee this morning. So um, they're under one of our other agencies at discipleship ministries as you might guess a big part of our work is to both challenge and support discipleship efforts within uh, local congregations. So we say we're supporting it by providing resources, and we're challenging not because we're trying, it's not conflict challenge, it's trying to be part of the sanctifying work that God does in our lives to keep pushing us forward. Um, In the United Methodist tradition, we say towards perfection, not that we, we are necessarily believing we can achieve perfection as in no flaws, but perfection towards maturity in our faith. So um, that's overall what the work of the Discipleship Ministries is. My role at Discipleship Ministries is to work with the worship team, which is also our director of music ministries and executive director and our um, director of preaching ministries, to create resources for local congregations to use in weekly worship. So one of our primary offerings is weekly lectionary-based worship resources we planned like i we literally just planned the whole year for 2024 2025 while we're writing for easter the season after easter in 2024 right now so my whole like church seasonal calendar in my head is super confused because then i go to church on sundays and i'm like wait what year are we in i'm confused
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: Why isn't everybody else Mm in Easter? Um, Mm -hmm. but within that one, what I provide is I write our worship planning notes, um, our liturgical resources, which is a variety of pieces um, that you can use within a service, like a call to worship, a prayer of confession, benediction, etc., and I help guide the creation of our graphics, and that's kind of really encompasses a lot of what how I understand worship arts. The worship arts is not just visual art, though visual art is a key component but it is also written art. It is embodied art. Um, so if you know me, you know, I'm not necessarily a dancer, although I think liturgical dance is great. And I'm looking forward to continuing to explore how to help resource that in local congregations, but I'm constantly about how are we getting our bodies involved in worship?
0: Mm. And within
2: that, that, I mean, that definitely hits on my disability focus in my scholarship, which we'll get to. But it's also a way that I get to research and write and inform understandings of worship um, by sprinkling in throughout the liturgical year the importance of kind of getting worship deep in our bones, that it's not just a mental um game or a a mental endeavor that's what i'm looking for it's not just a mental endeavor it's a whole bodied endeavor as individuals and as the community that gathers together and within that i also get to explore a lot of different worship related research interests like online and hybrid worship and how do we explore that um, and help resource that because it's not going anywhere so how do we help churches do it well and how do we not just say here's the technology and we'll teach you the technology but how are we thinking about it ethically how are we putting boundaries around the ways that we gather online how are we understanding the ways that the sacred gets communicated online all of those things so It's a, I I like to say, I don't, no day of mine is like the other. Um, And I kind of love it. I get to support voices of the diverse populations that make up the um the United Methodist Church, like one of my favorite things that I get to do is not write the stuff, but empower others to be writing and, you know, shepherd projects that were started before I came on, but come in and keep encouraging them so that we really have worship resources of various kinds that are coming from all of the voices that make up the church, not just the voices that society has said are the powerful and the ones that should be lifted up. So... Mm. That in essence, I know that's a lot to say in essence, but that in essence is what I do um, for my work. And at the same time, my team is really supportive of my disability scholarship, uh, which thus far has focused on Christology or the doctrine of Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ and how we understand or at least how I'm constructing an understanding of Christ as disabled and what, how that makes a difference theologically. And I will say, as I look at what it would mean to publish my dissertation, I both am excited about exploring that. And also I keep like going two steps ahead and going, oh, I can't wait for the next project in which I can build on that to start asking us how are we as the church the disabled body of Christ um, and what does that mean for our ecclesiology which very much intersects with my understanding of worship and the work that I do in worship, so it all kind of fits together, um, but each day is a little bit more or less or kind of finds a balance between all of those different interests and responsibilities within my work.
1: Yes. Oh cool. my gosh. I love all that so much, Lisa. And I, I love the, you know, the kind of the, the through line I'm, I'm seeing here is, is, you know, that, that uh, centering of, of embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we are, we are embodied when we are in worship, even, even if we are worshiping online and our exactly bodies are not present in the same space together we are still in them yes um, and and you know and, and then you know thinking theologically as well you know that when we we talk about christ is disabled there's there's uh conversations about embodiment there and then you know a a different but related sense of embodiment when when we talk about being the body of christ as the church and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i i think that <clears throat> I I always love thinking about the ways that our theology shows up in our, our worship and and absolutely construct worship. And I, I love your, your focus on embodiment and and thinking through that.
2: Yeah, I think you're so right. And in the Methodist tradition, I think this is true of all traditions. We just happen to have some, some people in our tradition who have articulated these things in a really particular Mm way. Um, one of the things that really got me into this field was starting in music ministry. You know, my first training is in organ, piano, and voice for church music. And I got there because we have this sense of we sing our theology. Yes. Like we learn the, the our theology gets into our hearts by singing. And I think now, I both agree with that and want to expand it. You know, that was a Charles Wesley thing. We're going to sing our theology into the hearts of the people. I think now I believe that so deeply. And I it, I think it's more than singing. It's the whole of worship. And in many ways, it's the whole of the arts in worship. And that doesn't, preaching is an art. And I absolutely, I think people who are called to preach and who put you know who put that artistry into it it's so effective but for so long we've treated preaching as the main way that we get our theology and our formation within worship and actually that's not always the most accessible means thinking with disability it's not always the most accessible means of theological and spiritual formation but it's also not the best for all kinds of learning like so it's it's not always best for people who might be in a situation where they don't have an interpreter and they can't hear well or they've got a processing thing um, that is not apparent visually but is very much the way that they encounter the world there's all kinds of reasons <laughs> preaching would not be the most accessible way to receive your formation but it also is just this reality that we are all actually very Um, diverse learners and we all have different kinds of brains and gosh, we should be like addressing all of that instead of just using one portion of brain and centering one way that brains learn and receive information. So that's, that's like my whole spiel about, I love preachers and I think we can worship our theology into the hearts of the people using the whole of worship.
0: So, um, Lisa, I have a follow-up question that builds, I hope, nicely on that uh, concept. Uh, One of the things you do, because listeners, in addition to being a brilliant scholar and a worship architect and leader, uh, my wife also is the co-founder of the Julian Way and sort of our our lead theologian <clears throat> in residence. Um, and I should shout out the uh, uh, your team um, and your executive director, Diana sanchez Bouchon for being so gracious and understanding that the work of the Julian Way kind of works in tandem with what you do and being so understanding of the two things feeding one another. Um, all that being said, um, when I encounter communities and the laity in all sorts of different contexts, be they United Methodist or otherwise, there is a, um, sometimes and a lot of times, a latent sense that to be dis- disabled, um, sort of disembodies you from worship mm. and removes the bodily bodily components yeah. or your ability to access the bodily aspect of worship. Yeah. Um. And you and I and you know all three of us on this podcast to some degree or another would prob- would probably have it. A- Alternative way of thinking about that, yeah. but how does your scholarship and how does what you do on a daily basis sort of hope to um, bridge the gap and give give the laity a different sense of embodiment and worship or embodiment and any sort of interaction with liturgy. Does that make sense? I think it
2: does. So I'm going to try to answer the question I think you're asking, and you can tell me if I'm answering the question you're asking. Um, (laughs) So on the one hand, I think it's important to kind of back up and explain that for me, when I'm speaking of Christ as disabled and therefore understanding the body of Christ as the church as disabled, Kind of underneath all of this is this idea of reclaiming disability, not as the opposite of ability or able-bodiedness, but disability as a central part of what it means to be human. And mm-hmm. therefore, we understand people as disabled and non-disabled, not disabled and able-bodied. So instead of being mm-hmm. me, instead of being in contradistinction to each other, so instead of being in opposition, they are actually Disability and non-disability are a spectrum of existence and we have one of the things I think Christ invites us into as disabled is to privilege our proximity to disability over our proximity to normalcy Mm. which is not the same as non-disability but when we privilege our proximity to normalcy we're trying to pass As somehow separate from disability as a reality of being human, Um, which is not the same as saying everybody's disabled. That's not what I'm saying. Amen. (laughs) Um, Just gotta. So we can unpack that a little bit more if we want, but I feel like I need to kind of lay that foundation because I think Justin, one of the things you said within the question itself is really important. Disability, I think, actually gets us tied into embodiment. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: disembodiment is something that people do in the effort to privilege normalcy. Mm. Because normalcy wants the body to be transparent, wants the body to be either subsumed, like the body is less important than the mind, or the body doesn't matter. Um, to identity, to experience or anything. So that's what we mean by the body being transparent. It doesn't have any impact on the way a person moves through the world if you're privileging normalcy, um, because normalcy wants to disembody us. Um, So for me, when we're in worship and we're trying to invite people into embodiment, one of the ways that i like to do that is through language when i teach people how to write liturgy one of the things i ask them to consider is what do these words invite the body to be doing and that doesn't mean that the bodies are going to jump up but there's a difference between saying i'm happy and i'm jumping with ecstasy right Mm -hmm. Um, I am happy is a very passive disembodied statement. Jumping with ecstasy has an embodied flavor to it, even and and honestly says more than I am happy. Um, and so I think it begins, for me at least, it begins there. Um, but it... <sighs> How do I want to put this? Because I don't feel like I'm actually answering your question, Justin. I think one of the key things is rec- is really being able to assess everything that you're doing in worship and asking, not just how much are you asking people to move or be aware of their bodies, but how much you're actually presenting theology as a mental endeavor instead of a fully embodied Like, our faith is a fully embodied thing. It's not just, I believe Jesus, therefore I'm going to go do. It's, no, like, we are being formed to be the body of Jesus.
0: There we go. There we Um, go.
2: So these are like, it's not one and then the other. It's not, I know this, therefore I go do this. It's like, no, I actually... Am doing the theology that I then go and live because I'm living the theology I'm learning like all of those things are happening all at the same time and are much more melded together in worship and I think that's the beauty of what worship gives us and also we are fighting an uphill battle with that because we live in a world that is privileging a sense of disembodiment and that yeah. the more you're connected the more your body forces you to be connected to it, uh, the less power our society tends to give those persons. I don't know. That uh, felt like it was really like swirly and rambly, but there's no, there it is.
0: No, it was wonderful. I do have a quick follow-up. It, it, if, if Rebecca doesn't mind if I ask, just jump in with one quick follow-up. Because something you yeah. said really... Uh, honestly has become the the beacon of my life in short form, I guess, like the one-word answer I give for why I do what I do. You said that often normalcy and this effort to separate us from disability or from embodiment of any uh, tangible sense, really, mm-hmm is a way of making our bodies not matter or proclaiming that the body can be subsumed and not matter. And for me, when I have well-intentioned friends and acquaintances who say, uh, well, we're all disabled, Mm -hmm. what they're actually doing is making their body and my body and all bodies invisible, which uh, undercuts deeply uh, a sense of who I am as a disabled activist and theologian and uh, advocate. My body is extremely visible, as it should be, and it matters a lot. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to i wanted to note that because i thought that was very uh succinct and important the way you said that
1: yeah well and and if i can add on to to some of this conversation (laughs) um i i think i mean a like i just i felt what you were saying so (laughs) so deeply lisa and and justin both of you about like the ways in which Normalcy is making our our bodies not matter. Mm -hmm. Like I I feel like when I was younger, I had a very disembodied sense of myself. Like I was very much a like you know all all brain all you know cognition ignore the body, and it Mm -hmm. like that also pretty perfectly coincides with the part of my time in my life where I was trying to pass as non-disabled whenever possible. Right. So yeah, those things are are very linked. But the other thing this this conversation is making me think about is like, and I I think this is maybe just in some of where your question started, is I feel like sometimes when, especially non-disabled, but you know, maybe other folks as well, think about crafting worship that is inclusive of folks with disabilities, their inclination is to remove all references to the body whatsoever yes because they they've you know they've heard like they've heard people say like when we talk about seeing god that's alienating or when we talk about walking in christ that's alienating and like i i have a certain amount of sympathy with that because there are definitely as a blind person ways in which uh worship writers and, and preachers have used sight and blind especially blindness but also sight yes are alienating to me and that do kind of leave me the sense of like oh like this is you're not talking about my body right now (laughs) but i i definitely find that like when we just strip all references to the body from our worship we're we're really losing something we're we're really uh distancing ourselves from from this this worship